Well, this was a, this was a busy uh, week for me personally. I, I know uh, all of my evenings uh, this week kind of blur together. Uh, but on one of those evenings, I remember trying to get the kids uh, down after being up late. And uh, you know how that goes. You're, just, you're trying to sprint to the finish line uh, and, uh, and get them down. And, and my three-year-old had, had gone ahead of me. Uh, he was in his pajamas, and he went ahead of me into the bathroom, and he proceeded to, to get out the, the toothbrush and the toothpaste, and uh, I was in the, the hallway looking down to the, to the bathroom where he was, and I, I see him open the toothpaste and holding it directly up into the air, say, look, Dada, I can squeeze it, and I'm kind of like, no, you know, doing that... Uh, uh, kind of the, the slow motion, like, please don't squeeze the toothpaste directly up uh, into the air. And uh, because uh, once that toothpaste is out, you can't put it back in, right? <laughs> That's just the way that it goes. And uh, the, uh, our, uh, our words have been compared to toothpaste. Because there are uh, words that, that flow out easily, but once they are spoken, it is impossible to put them back into the tube, right? Uh, you, you can't take back those words. Anybody ever uh, say something and then immediately regret it? Yeah. And, and once, it's, once it's said, it's said. Uh, and you can uh, deal uh, with the ramifications, uh, ram- ramifications and repercussions if you combine those two words. You don't get a word that makes sense. But uh, uh, you can deal with the, the outcome of it, but you can't take back the words. And uh, we, we have all said things that we regret. Uh, as I'm doing this, uh, this series on, on gossip, this is something that we have all participated in. Uh, we have all uh, spoken gossip. We have all listened to gossip. If you have a smartphone, uh, you have probably typed gossip. Uh, you've probably read gossip. Uh, and uh, as we looked last week, uh, Proverbs talked about gossip being uh, those uh, dainty morsels, right? Th- those little snacks that you uh, love uh, and, and you consume them, but, but sometimes too much. Uh, and then once you have uh, consumed too much of them, uh, it, it turns sour uh, and bitter. Uh, and uh, last week, you know, I, I looked at uh, kind of the topic of how do we recognize what gossip is? Uh, and knowing what gossip is, uh, it is important for us to be able to, uh, to see it uh, when it is taking place, uh, to, to be able to, uh, to flee from it uh, as it is uh, taking place. Uh, but uh, what I want to address and, and think through this morning is how do, we, how do we resist gossip, both in our speaking and in our listening, so we don't get in that situation where our words have come out like toothpaste. Right? And we're trying to figure out what to do with, with the mess that we have uh, created. Uh, and uh, resisting gossip is, is best done uh, ahead of time, right? We talked last time. Uh, when, when's the best time to fight a forest fire? According to Smokey the Bear, way ahead of time, right? Only you can prevent forest fires. The best time to fight the fire is before it begins. Uh, and so this morning I want to really talk through 
I'd say five, five admonitions uh, for us uh, to guide uh, our speaking and our uh, listening so that we are able to, uh, to resist gossip, so that fires don't spark up uh, among uh, our congregation, among our, our families, among our uh, workplaces, in our uh, neighborhoods and communities, because uh, the, the fire of gossip burns indiscriminately doesn 't care what type of group of people uh, you are in, but it will burn uh, everybody and so these uh, five admonitions will be uh, helpful uh, and the first of them uh, is really uh, going to be very basic. The first admonition is uh, speak the truth, speak the truth, and it sounds really, really simple right you 're like okay well, let 's just move on. What are the other things? What are the other uh, truths that you have for us, but we can't speed past this one. This one is, uh, it is so basic. Yes. Uh, but it's also so important that it made the 10 commandments, right? The, the ninth commandment given to us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor or, uh, the, the new city catechism, which we kind of teach through with the elementary age kids and which I review with uh, my boys is what, what does God require in the ninth commandment that we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. If you, if you open up uh, your Bibles with me and turn over to Leviticus chapter 19, uh, you'll, you'll see this, uh, brought to life and leviticus 19 is going to be an important chapter on this subject of gossip and we're going to circle back around to it on a couple of different occasions this this morning but uh, leviticus 19 verse 11 says you shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another and you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your god I am Yahweh. You see, there's a, there's a weaving together there of multiple uh, commandments uh, within the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you jump down to verse 15, it says, You shall do no injustice in judgment, and you shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. You shall judge your neighbor in righteousness. You shall not go about as a slanderer or a talebearer among your people, and you shall not stand against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. And the idea of standing against the life of your neighbor is the idea in the context of a court of law. Uh, if you are going to be called to the witness stand and give a testimony where uh, what you say is really, really going to matter, that uh, you are commanded not to bear false witness. You are not to, to stand up there and lie against somebody else. We are to speak the truth to one another. Zechariah uh, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, uh, the prophet says, These are the things which you should do. And this is on the heels of uh, God's, or saying that God has uh, plans for the nation of Israel, uh, plans for good. He says, These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth uh, and judgment for peace in your gates. Also, let not... Uh, let none of you devise evil in your heart against another uh, and do not love perjury for all these are what I hate declares the Lord. Uh, that's an important passage uh, because again, as we see here in Leviticus and as we see here in Zechariah, there's a weaving together of speaking the truth. And when we don't speak the truth, whose name do we profane? 
God's name. And when we don't speak the truth, we end up perverting justice. And that's where there's an intimate link between speaking the truth uh, and all of these uh, legal issues of um, not perverting justice, but judging with truth uh, and righteousness uh, in the gates. Uh, And ultimately, when uh, when lies are spoken and when lies are allowed to go unaddressed, injustice uh, will surely follow. We uh, we saw an example of this as we were reading through uh, first and second Kings in the month of August. We we, we come to uh, first Kings 21 chapter, probably entitled Naboth's Vineyard. Uh, And in that chapter, uh, we see. King Ahab of Israel, uh, and and he is coveting uh, the vineyard of a man named Naboth. Uh, if you want to turn over there to First Kings twenty-one, uh, and so the, the king is is coveting this this vineyard. So he approaches Naboth and says, "Hey, sell me your vineyard." And Naboth says, "I, I can't sell you the inheritance of my family. Uh, I can't do that." And so Naboth declines, and then. Uh, King Ahab, being a mature adult, he goes and it says that he gets, he, he sulks. Uh, he gets uh, sullen and pouty, like any good king, right? Uh, and so his wife comes in and says, uh, husband, what's going on? Uh, and his wife's name is Jezebel. And uh, Jezebel hears about the, this problem that uh, her husband is pouting about, and she addresses the situation. So here's what she does. She, she writes a letter uh, to the elders and nobles of Naboth's city. She appeals to the, the rulers and she tells them that she should, they, they should call a feast and put Naboth at the head of the table. And then when uh, the, the feast is uh, taking place and everyone's attention is there on Naboth, she says, you hire two men to lie about Naboth. You hire two men to slander him and convince the people to execute him. You're there in First Kings, beginning of verse or chapter twenty-one, verse eleven. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles, think about how corrupt that city is. Who lived in his city did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent them. They called for a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. And then two vile men came in and sat before him. And the vile man, the vile men testified against him, against Naboth. Before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones, and he died. And then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Jezebel goes into her husband and says, Hey, rise up and take the vineyard. That's the quickest way to pervert justice is allow lies to be spoken. The Apostle Paul quoted that passage from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16, when he says, speak truth to one another. He quotes that in Ephesians 4, 25, emphasizing how we are to speak and relate to one another in the church. We cannot lie to one another. We must speak the truth. Right? When, a, when a witness is called in our modern context, what oath do they take upon entering the witness stand? What do they swear to do? To, to tell the truth, and not just the truth, but the whole truth. Withholding nothing. And, and we have to be convinced of that. That we must be truth speakers. And the question I love to ask my, my kids, why should we speak the truth? 
Right? Well, we have to get to that. If, if it's not just speak the truth, but why should we do that? And this is what we must be convinced of. When we speak the truth, who are we being like? God. Right? We speak the truth because God speaks the truth. God's character binds him. He cannot tell a lie. But he only speaks the truth. Uh, and when we speak the truth, we are emulating him. But if we take that the other way, when we lie... Who are we being like? Satan. We are being like the father of lies. That's what John or Jesus uh, says in John eight forty four. It says, You are of your father the devil. And the concept here is that you are who you are emulating, that, that is your father. When we emulate God and speak the truth, we are acknowledging and living as if he is our father. But when we lie, we are in essence living as if Satan is our father. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you do not desire, and you do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is the the, the most basic uh, Admonition, the most basic command, but, but this is where we must begin in terms of our speech. Uh, we must speak the truth within our community, within our families, uh, within the church. And when lies are spoken by Christians, trust is broken. Justice is perverted. Reputations can be destroyed like that. And ultimately, the name of God is profaned, even as we saw in Leviticus. And we are commanded to speak the truth because God speaks the truth. Then secondly, we should speak to build up. If you turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 4. See, it is possible, and many of us have done this, it is possible to speak the truth in a way that is like a wrecking ball. Right? If you, you come in uh, and you are going to destroy somebody, you're going to, to lay them out uh, with uh, your words. And some of us uh, who think quickly on our feet and have uh, quick tongues, uh, we are probably very uh, skilled at this. But that is not a skill to brag about. Uh, it is a, a skill to be concerned about. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, verse 15, you probably, that's where we see a phrase that you are probably all very familiar with. But speaking the truth in love. So we can, we can speak the truth and we ought to speak the truth, but there's a way of speaking the truth uh, that is actually going to, to be edifying and loving and caring towards another person. And then in that same chapter, verse 29, the Apostle Paul writes, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. There's really four, four big principles there. What's, what's being prohibited? An exact number of unwholesome words, right? Let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. But the only type of word that should come from us is that which is good for building up. Uh, and then uh, in the, the LSB that I read, it says uh, what is needed. But I think the, the ESV says as fits the occasion. And I think that's really helpful because there's some things that we can say that are 100 percent true, but they don't fit this occasion. 
Uh, They don't need to be said right now at this exact time. Uh, And uh, there's a a sign under a mounted fish. says, if I had kept my mouth shut, I wouldn't be here. Uh, And many of us feel that way of we say things that are not appropriate to the situation. uh, And they don't need to be said. So no unwholesome words, only words which are building up. Does it need to be said right now? And then only words that give grace to the hearer. Now, there's so much there uh, in, uh, in that verse. Uh, but ultimately what we see is that there, there has to be a filter for our speech. Uh, we have to be in control of what comes out of our mouths, uh, which is really the exact opposite of what the culture says uh, right now. Right? Our, our culture kind of exalts, just speak your mind uh, and uh, just put it out there. Uh, and uh, on, the, on the one hand, they say that. But on the other hand, there are certain things that you should not say and you've got to keep to yourself. So m- multiple things. But uh, our culture will uh, encourage us just to speak our minds. I was listening to or I was watching a movie with my kids the other day. Uh, and uh, on, uh, on this movie, they, there was a, a song by Sheryl Crow called Real Gone. And uh, the lyrics to one of the verses uh, says, uh, my mama taught me right, uh, wrong from right. And I was born in the South. Sometimes I have a big mouth. When I see something that I don't like, I got to say it. Uh, it was just interesting. I was reflecting upon the, the, the words there. I was like, man, that's the exact opposite of, of biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom says we must think before we speak. And we have to evaluate our thoughts before they become words. And again, if you just look at Ephesians 4.29, there, there's, there's questions to ask here. Should I say this right now? Well, is this, is this unwholesome speech or wholesome speech? Uh, is this uh, going to build up or go, is it going to tear down? Does this need to be said right now or is this something that I can address later on? Does this give grace to the one that I'm speaking to? Now, those are, the, those are the filters, those are the questions that we have to ask. And these principles are applicable no matter who we are speaking to. Many of us have the, the tendency of, uh, with popular vernacular, venting to someone. And it might be a spouse, it might be a parent, it might be uh, an adult child. But, but I, would, I would urge caution here because of this. When you, when you vent to someone else, you are uh, informing their opinion. Now, you are, in essence, giving them a prescription uh, of how to view other people. Uh, and when you come and uh, invent, um, you, you are uh, very likely probably uh, gossiping and slandering. So if a, if a husband comes home each day uh, and vents to his wife about uh, his boss at work, what, what's going to gradually take place in the heart of his wife towards his boss? Anger. Bitterness. Here's the amazing thing. Uh, the husband might even like address things with his boss and reconcile and everything's great at work. But if he doesn't circle back around and speak to his wife, what's his wife's feeling at home? Right. The fire has been put out at work, but the fire is still burning in the heart of his wife. That's going to be an awkward Christmas party that year for the, the company. Right. But, but that's that's the danger that we have when we just vent uh, we, we are uh, informing someone else. We're, they're hearing one side, but not another. Or, or if a, a woman is often grumbling to uh, her mother or sister about her husband or her kids, what's going to happen over time? 
that, that division uh, among people because that, that's what gossip and slander will do. And so we have to be, be careful. We, we put that, the other uh, vocabulary with it. Well, I'm just venting. I need to vent to somebody. Who are we to vent to biblically? And we'll talk about this more next week. But uh, when I am uh, frustrated, what am I to do? Well, if we're there in Ephesians 4, the, the, if we backtrack a little bit, verse 25, he quoted Zechariah 8. And he says, speak the truth to one another. Uh, verse 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. And he's actually quoting Psalm 4.4. 4. The idea is when you are frustrated, you go to the Lord in prayer. The rest of that verse says, go and sit on your bed and contemplate. And then you offer right sacrifices to God. You go and vent to the Lord, get your heart right, get it out, and then uh, go and, and offer right sacrifices and live rightly before God and others. Uh, there, there's so much here. We have to, to be careful. Ephesians 4.29 does not have a venting clause. Right? Let no unwholesome words except for when you're venting, and then it's okay. Then you can just turn loose. Here's something to think about. Proverbs 29.11 and the ESV says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So how often do you vent to others? What do you do with your frustrations when you disagree with your boss or, or with your spouse or with a parent or fill in the blank? When you have a disagreement or a frustration, who else is going to know about it? We have to examine that. We have to guard our hearts and we have to guard our mouths and beware of how we speak. We must speak the truth, but we must also speak the truth to build up. And third, we must believe the best. If you turn over to, to Proverbs chapter 18, see, when, when someone comes to us with uh, information, when someone comes to us with a, a story, we are going to make a judgment call uh, on uh, the, the truth or the validity of what is being said. And this is also true regarding anything and everything that we read on the internet. And we have to exercise uh, some discernment. And uh, in, in the process of making judgments, uh, we often uh, don't keep these two principles in mind from Proverbs 18. If you look at verse 13, it says, He who responds with a word before he hears... It is folly and shame to him. So if I give a response before I really understand uh, what is going on, before I'm willing to, to listen uh, and strive for understanding, if I just give an answer, Proverbs says I'm speaking and acting foolishly. And jump over to verse 17 in that same chapter. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Right? So that the, the, if you think back to... Uh, uh, to Absalom, uh, we read in uh, first, or Second Samuel 15, uh, he, he wanted to be the first one to hear uh, and, uh, the case that was being brought to the king. He says, I, I want to, to hear that and I want to affirm that. Uh, true justice is going to say, well, I need to withhold judgment and I need to hear both sides. Uh, but whenever we just hear one side and then immediately affirm and get wrapped up in it, uh, we, we are not uh, judging rightly. And our judicial system operates on a principle that, the, that a person is innocent until proven guilty. Right? 
Our justice system has it built in that we are going to assume uh, and that the burden of proof lays upon the prosecution. Uh, But is that usually what takes place within our hearts? Usually we assume that this person is is guilty. We go from uh, zero to 60, like judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, And uh, we, we presume motives, we do so much. But we have a responsibility to withhold judgment until we can uh, hear both sides of a story. Uh, And believing the best is a part of loving your neighbor. If you think about 1 Corinthians uh, 13, famous, famous verses on love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Part of believing all things is is believing the best until proven otherwise. And now I understand when you do that, when you are willing to believe the best until it's proven, there's a danger there. What might happen? Someone might act maliciously against you. And that's, that's a reality. If you do what 1 Corinthians 13 says and you believe the best about others until uh, it's proven that they're acting against you, you are opening yourself up to be hurt. And that's our natural defense is what? To assume the motives. And when we're assuming the motives, who are we defending? Ourselves. But we're not truly loving our neighbor uh, and we're not loving God. 1 Corinthians 13 says that we must believe the best, believing all things. It's easy to, to jump to conclusions. One, one pastor says, uh, as he's talking on this topic, he says, I get my exercise uh, uh, by pushing uh, the limits and jumping to conclusions. And uh, don't get your exercise that way. But I recently had... Uh, had an opportunity to apply some, some biblical wisdom in my parenting. One day, a couple weeks ago, I was working, working from home, and I heard uh, a ruckus out in the, the living room. And so uh, William Gray was, or William was on the, the floor, and uh, Lincoln uh, was, uh, so William's crying. Lincoln is speaking angrily uh, at my wife. Yes, this happens in pastor's homes. Uh, don't. Uh, this, it, uh, and, and so uh, Libby w- was busy, I think, cooking in the, in the kitchen uh, doing something, and she didn't see everything that happened. But I, uh, and suddenly, I, so I hear the scream. I hear the uh, some words exchanged. I hear Lincoln's feet stomping up the stairs, and I, I come out, and I'm like, what's, what's going on? And my wife did, hadn't you know, seen what all w- was happening, and suddenly she said, she looked up, and uh, Lincoln was uh, stepping on William's head. And... Um, She's like, so I sent him upstairs, and it was just bad. So I'm like, okay. And I was like, this is really bad. Like, you're stepping on the head, and uh, this, is, this is not good. Uh, and uh, I went upstairs very concerned, uh, and um, I was, you know, ready to, to have a serious conversation uh, with that boy. And, um, but I was like, okay, I better just ask some questions. And over the course of the interrogation, I was able to ascertain that uh, – that they had been playing a game uh, in which uh, one of them would crawl underneath the outstretched legs of the other. Uh, and uh, William had actually knocked Lincoln down onto him, and Lincoln was then trying to get up. And that's what Libby had caught uh, and, uh, and seen and all of these things. And so I go back downstairs, and I question the other one. 
who now was just playing just fine uh, after crying. And, uh, and he, I, I just said, hey, were you playing a game with Lincoln? Oh, yeah, we were. Uh, and so just, just that the ease of which to, to see something uh, and to immediately jump to conclusions and to assign motives. Uh, but being willing to withhold judgment for a time and seek to, to validate uh, and try and understand what is taking place. Uh, we need to do that much more often than we do. Uh, in, the, in his book, uh, Resisting uh, Gossip, uh, the, the biblical counselor that I mentioned last week, Matthew Mitchell, gives, gives some tips on how to work on believing the best. And how to refrain from uh, arriving at sinful uh, judgments. And ultimately those sinful judgments are going to be kind of assuming the worst rather than believing the best. Uh, Number one, we we arrive at uh, sinful or wrong judgments by only hearing one side of the story. By by having one person come and vent to us, uh, we develop uh, a picture in our minds of what's taking place. And then what do we do? We take it and run with it. We've just made a, a sinful, unwise judgment. Uh, sinful judgments can also uh, arise from not considering uh, the source of information. Uh, Proverbs fourteen fifteen: The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. And ultimately, uh, we have to uh, consider the information coming our way. Questionable sources of information should be questioned. Uh, and taken with a, a grain of salt. And we can say, uh, I, I'm going to, if that's true, that would be really bad. But I need to withhold judgment for a time. Uh, we, sinful judgments can also arise uh, by assuming motives. If you think back to uh, when we read uh, the book of Joshua earlier this year, Joshua 22. So the, the nation is in the land and there are some tribes that are in uh, the land of uh, Israel on the west side of the Jordan River. But there's some uh, specifically two and a half tribes uh, who uh, settled on the eastern part of the Jordan River. Uh, and uh, uh, after the, the land has been uh, conquered, those tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan River, they make an altar. Uh, and the tribes on the western side uh, assume that the, the tribes on the, the east uh, are going astray, that they're forsaking uh, Yahweh and they're going on to worship another god. Uh, and so the western tribes, they uh, rally and prepare for war. They're like, hey, guys, mount up. We're going out and we're going to we're going to crush this idolatry before it gets us. And so they the, the, the two sides, the eastern and western sides meet uh, and they just they have a conversation. And, and the western side realizes, oh, you, you guys made the altar not uh, to worship another God, but actually as a memorial uh, and to connect yourselves with us over here. Well, that, that's kind of different. Maybe we don't need to fight. Maybe we don't need to have a war and wipe each other out. But they, they assumed the motive. And it was amazing because it was actually the exact opposite uh, of their actual motive. The, the eastern, side, uh, eastern tribes, their motive was actually uh, to worship Yahweh and remain connected to the rest of Israel. Uh, and the, the western side assumes they're actually trying to, to disconnect and do the exact opposite. That's what we need to be aware of. Uh, the sinful judgments can arise from hearing only one side of the story. But, uh, it can arise by not considering the source. It can arise by assuming motives. It can also just arise out of pride. If you turn over with me to James chapter 4.
Look at verses 11 and 12. James is going to get down to the heart of what is taking place when, when we slander. When we, when we slander, we're, we can also be guilty of making wrong judgments. And that's, that's at the core of our slander. But he says this in James 4.11. He says, Do not slander one another, brothers. He who slanders a brother or judges his brother, notice how he's lumped those things together, slanders the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you, oh, who are you to judge your neighbor? So what, what he begins to, to lay out here is that when we, when we are gossiping and, and slandering or speaking about others, right? When the, the husband comes home and vents to his wife about his boss, what is he doing in that conversation? He's elevating himself above his boss. And when we are uh, raising and lifting ourselves up, who are we, again, who are we acting like? We, we have replaced God. He's disappeared. And now we are there looking down upon others and we are passing judgment and he says but who are you who judge others who judge your neighbor we need to be careful about this and we need to see the pride there at the root of our speech the root of our gossip and slander ultimately we are commanded i know we're bouncing around a lot but turn over to matthew chapter 7 Jesus commands us to keep something in mind. It doesn't say with, we refrain and don't judge anybody. We must judge. We must have discernment. We must apply wisdom in conversations. So all judgment is not prohibited. But he says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with what judgment you judge... You will be judged. And with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, this is how we are commanded to judge. Judge others as you would want them to extend that same judgment to you. Right? If, if, if you're going to bring out this ruler and measure and evaluate everybody else with, what would happen if they took that ruler and measured you with it? That, that's what we have to keep in mind. Am I judging righteously? Am I judging with, with grace? Am I believing the best? Until proven otherwise, or am I assuming guilt? How do you like it when people assume the worst about you? You like it when they assign motives to you? That's not fun or enjoyable, right? Again, the whole point, why would we do that to others? But we need to be on guard against this. Choose to believe the best until proven otherwise. Choose to withhold judgment until you have heard both sides or more information comes out. I know uh, I've had to... Since studying through all of this, and this has actually been a series that's been on my heart for a while, but 
this, this study has been good because it's taught me oftentimes pastors are expected to have an immediate answer for everything that's going on in the culture. Right? Uh, and what I've had to, to see and understand is that there are times when I and also you need to say, this event just happened. I don't know uh, what my opinion should be on this. I need to wait till there's more information that comes out. Because what happens in the early news reports sometimes? Gossip and slander. Uh, and details come out later that were completely the opposite uh, of what was initially spoken. And if I uh, develop a, uh, an opinion on the limited information at the very beginning and then go and pontificate it, I'm, I'm guilty of sinful judgment, uh, gossip and slander. And we need to be on guard against that. It's okay to not have an opinion about everything. It's okay to say, I need to, to figure that out. I need to pursue more information. And it's okay just to say, I don't have an opinion right now. I'm not sure. That is an acceptable answer. That's what we have to begin to be comfortable with. Because that's what Scripture says is ultimately wise. So we must speak the truth. We must speak to build up. We must believe the best. And then, fourth, we must listen with wisdom. See, there are, there are times when we are suddenly thrown into a conversation laced with, uh, with gossip. We didn't, we didn't see it coming, but we're suddenly in the, the middle of it. And uh, it's difficult to know what to do in those uh, cases. And to begin with, again, we need to, to recognize gossip for what it is and uh, how we can uh, uh, avoid such uh, conversations and recognize them when we're in them. Uh, but we also, as I said this a little bit last week, we have to, to recognize the great harm that comes to our souls just by listening to gossip. Uh, Proverbs uh, 16:28 uh, says, A perverse man spreads strife. Uh, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. So again, on the one hand, you can say, okay, well, I shouldn't be a slanderer. I shouldn't be that perverse man who spreads strife. Uh, but, but think about the other side of it, right? What, what happens as an outcome of listening to that gossip? Strife, right? The, the separation of if I hear this, there's a danger of me. If I come to the wrong conclusion about what is said here, it may separate uh, my relationship with others unnecessarily. If I listen to lies and things that are false and jump to conclusions and assume motives, there may be unnecessary division that arises. So I have to be wise. Proverbs seventeen four: An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. So, so there's uh, a, a guilt that is established upon the listener uh, there in Proverbs seventeen four. And he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. And if I listen to that, that repetition of a story, uh, I may uh, be a part of friends being separated. And there are times when you have to, to switch your ears from automatic to manual. Uh, you, you have to say, wait, rather than just taking in everything, I may need to, to calibrate and say, well, well, maybe I don't need to hear this. In my early days of being on staff at our sending church, there was a, another church employee who, who called me up and said, hey, can we talk? I said, sure. And he's like, oh, it's, it's urgent. Can I come over? And I was like, okay. Uh, and I remember coming out uh, to the front of my house and he asked me, I climbed into the car with him. Uh, and suddenly uh, he 
backed up the dump truck and unloaded on me a ton of information about a conflict that he was having uh, with one of the pastors. I had no idea of what I, what I was going to hear when I climbed into the, the car. But suddenly it was there and I got to do something with this information. And, and it was, I was very young. I had not really had any experience with, uh, with uh, gossip, but he gave me all of the juicy, juicy details of the conflict. All of the, the dainty morsels. And the conversation eventually came to an end and he said, well, I just thought you would want to know. And as I, as I exited the car, I, I was completely taken in by everything that was said. By all of these principles, right? I heard one side, somebody venting. Now, what's my opinion of that pastor? Right? The, the fire that was raging in this other uh, church employee got passed to me. And now it's burning hot within me. And what am I going to go do? Go pass it to others. I actually went and uh, eventually spoke with uh, that pastor. And guess what happened when I spoke with the pastor? The fire got doused. Heard the other side. Uh, but uh, that participation uh, in fanning up the flame, because I heard it, the flame was passed to me. And when you give full vent uh, and you uh, release all of your frustration, and now uh, really what I realized is he was coming to me to try and win me as an ally against the, the pastor that he had a grievance against. That's really what you're trying to do when you are venting, trying to win someone to your side against somebody else. Grievous. And it took a while for me to sort through everything. But this is why we have to listen with wisdom so that we are not captured by gossip and carried away. And it's so easy for it to happen. Sometimes we don't even see it coming. But when we realize that we are in a situation, right, whether we walk into a break room at work, right, we walk in and suddenly somebody is criticizing the boss or another co-worker. Uh, or you walk into the teacher's lounge uh, and the teacher's there criticizing uh, students, parents, families, all of the above. Uh, when you walk into that, what do we do? Again, there's three, three really big principles that, that Matthew Mitchell outlined uh, in, in the book. Uh, I'm going to kind of summarize them, but he says, number one, you need to pray and weigh. So during the conversation, immediately pray for wisdom. Uh, when, it, when it seems like you have walked into gossip or things are drifting towards gossip, uh, you need to begin to think through some questions like, what is really going on here? And thinking through, so what's my relationship to the speaker? How can I address this? What's my relationship to the person being spoken of? How serious is this gossip? Is this true? Is it a lie? Is it a rumor? What effect might this story have on others? Is this a a funny story or is it a shameful story? Also, why is this story being told? What, What clues do I have about this person's motives? Like, why are you sharing this with me? And ultimately kind of comes back to fit that description of gossip that we talked about last week. The bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Does that fit into that category? So we need to immediately pray and weigh uh, what is being said. Sometimes we, we, if we walk into a conversation and gossip begins to happen, we need to figure out how to change the subject. We need to figure out how to, to jump to other things uh, and ask uh, 
good questions. Uh, sometimes we need to avoid certain uh, topics of conversation. They're going to lead to gossip. Sometimes we may need to just avoid a, a person altogether. I would say be, be cautious there and have a conversation. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. There's also times when we are hearing gossip that we are called to cover it in love. Now, what do I mean there? There's times where there are shameful things that have taken place, and rather than announcing them to the world, we, we need to cover them. If you think about Genesis 9, after uh, the flood, uh, it says Noah, Noah planted a vineyard. And what did he do with the vineyard? Made some wine, and he got drunk. It says he went into his tent, and he uh, undressed and was naked in his tent, and one of his sons, uh, Ham, went in uh, and saw his father, and then he came out, and he announced his father's shame to his brothers. Zay. Uh, Shem and, and Japheth, come look at this. And Shem and, and Japheth, rather than uh, relishing in their father's shame, they actually says that they, they put their father's cloak on their back and walked in backwards to try and cover up their father's shame. Uh, and there are times when that's what we need to do. And, and there's much wisdom to be uh, exercised here because some things, sometimes things are covered that should be brought to light. And sin should be exposed when it's broken the law. Sin should be confessed to all of those it has impacted. Okay, the circle of sin should be the circle of confession. And if your sin has impacted somebody, it needs to be addressed. But sin doesn't need to be exposed to those who are not impacted by it. That's when it can be graciously covered. I don't need to go and announce uh, all of the, uh, the sins that I'm aware of. Even if they're true, does that build up? Nope. It just, it just continues shame. Doesn't need to happen. Ultimately, we have to be aware of how we are listening. And ultimately, how we are listening is really determined by why we are listening. If, we, if, if I'm listening for my own enjoyment, what am I going to be tempted to do? Right? All those dainty morsels. Like, oh yeah, I'll keep eating. Tell me more. Keep, keep it coming. But if I'm not listening for myself, but if I'm listening for the glory of God and of love for others, what am I going to have to do? Well, let's not continue this conversation. I have to be willing to uh, address certain things out of love for God and love for neighbor. So I need to listen with discernment. I need to pray for wisdom. I need to be willing to cover sin with love and sometimes maybe avoid certain topics. And at other times, we're going to need to address the person who is speaking to us. That's going to be the fifth and final admonition. That would be confront the sin. If you turn back over with me to Leviticus chapter 19. See, this is one of the necessary solutions to gossip. That rather than talking about others, we go and talk to them. We need to go and have a conversation. Rather than venting my frustration uh, to everybody who will listen, I need to go and express my concern to the individual that it pertains to. Leviticus uh, chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, something that we read before, it says, You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. 
you may surely reprove your neighbor and so not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance and you shall not keep your anger against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. If you look at verse 17, it says you shall not hate your brother in your heart. And there's a, a variety of translations in that next phrase, but the, the legacy standard says you may surely reprove your neighbor. And I think even that in terms of the Hebrew, the Hebrew is very emphatic here has the same word twice, uh, emphasizing that it's not just you may surely, it's no, you need to go. Rather than being angry with somebody in your heart, you need to go and have that conversation. And the implication in the next uh, phrase is that if you don't go and have that conversation, you bear some of the guilt. That you will incur sin because of him. This this is the same principle that's going to be laid out for us in the New Testament uh, in Matthew 18. If your brother has sinned against you, what do you do? Go and tell it to the church immediately. Announce it, post it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the other social medias I'm not aware of. Go and announce it to everybody. Right? No. You go to your brother. You express your concern. And if he repents, you've won your brother. That's what we need to do. We go and have the conversation with that person uh, that we have a frustration with or a concern about rather than explaining it to everybody else. And while we might understand the principle and the command given here in Leviticus and what's given to us in Matthew 18, it doesn't make those types of conversations easy or enjoyable, right? Anybody really look forward to those conversations? Like, I get to go confront someone today. If you're looking forward to that, you're probably not going to speak the truth in love. So something to think about. But those types of conversations are necessary. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And we should respond in the moment in a variety of ways. One author uh, records uh, how a minister's wife had a very effective way of stopping a person from, from slandering or gossiping in her presence. That whenever someone w- would say something unpleasant about someone else, uh, she would immediately get up and get her hat and coat. The person would say, where are you going? She'd say, well, I'm going to go talk to that person, see if what you're saying is true. Now, that is a very, very effective way of putting a halt to gossip and slander. But some of us might not be that bold. Sometimes it's actually appropriate to respond in that way. Sometimes we we need to do that. We need to put on boldness. We need to be convinced of the danger of what we're listening to and the effect that it could have. But there's other ways of, of going about it as well. When gossip comes our way, here's some good questions to ask in order to probe deeper and to pursue peace and reconciliation in the matter at hand. You could just say, is this something that I need to hear about? What specific parts of this conversation need to be discussed with me? How did you come to know this information? Is this something that you have witnessed firsthand? Or is this uh, something that you are uh, guessing at or, or inferring from something else? You can say, may I quote you when I go and, and check with the other person? 
Right? It's, not, it's not so bold as grabbing hat and coat, but, but simply asking that. Can I quote you when I go and ask that per, this person about this? And before you share any further, what is it you're expecting from me? What is it you want from me? Why are you sharing this with me? Another good question. Have you spoken to those people? Are you, you're coming and you're expressing a concern with somebody else. Have you gone and, sp- and spoken with them and addressed this with them? Now, that's a wonderful question to ask because it puts the onus on them of what do you need to do? You need to go and have a conversation. See, it's an, another good response is it's important for me to, to pray and think this through and, and I might actually need to uh, get some insight of, of how to address this uh, and have you talking with, you know, uh, church leadership about of how to resolve this. The, the general principle is that when gossip comes our way, we need to address it. That means we need to be willing to speak up. We need to be willing to be a part of the peacemaking process. If someone comes and uh, and grumbles and complains to me about somebody else, I say, "Oh man, that sounds really really tough. Can I go with you to try and make peace? Are, are you willing for me to do that?" No, I don't want to do that. Well, you know what? You've, you don't realize this, but you've, you've come and you've grumbled and, and expressed these concerns to me. And now I have to do something with this. And now I know there's a rift between you two and that you're unwilling to address it. But Matthew 5 says, if you are coming to the altar to worship uh, and you're bringing your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, what are you to do? Lay it down and go and be reconciled. That there's a, a priority of reconciliation in the same way also if you re- realize that you have sinned against your brother, you are responsible to pursue reconciliation. And Matthew 18 is the opposite. If your brother has sinned against you, you're responsible. So both parties should be not going the opposite direction, which is our tendency, but going towards one another and reconciliation. And sometimes we need to call people on that. And if they're unwilling to go, say, you know what, I'll give you to the end of the week. And I'll go and speak to that person and I'll... I'll relay what was communicated to me, uh, and then I'm going to encourage them to come and speak to you to try and uh, reconcile and pursue peace. That, that's how we uh, be a part of the peacemaking process. Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India in the late 1800s, in the early 1900s, uh, she had a, a, a rule concerning conflict resolution in her mission statement, uh, and she says, uh, very simple, never about, always to. So never talking uh, about others in, in conflict resolution, but always uh, speaking directly to the person that the conflict is with. Love that little statement. So these admonitions will, will help us uh, prior to gossiping. Speak the truth. Speak to build up. Believe the best. Listen with wisdom. Confront the sin. If you turn to, to one, uh, one final passage before we kind of transition over to celebrating the Lord's table. Philippians chapter 2. When I was uh, playing football in college, the coaches uh, gave us these team shirts that we had to wear to workouts and, uh, and practices and, and such. And on the back of the shirt, there was a, a phrase that said, prove it. And the emphasis was that uh, the coaches didn't want us just to talk about how good we were going to be. They, they wanted us to, to see and understand that if we, it's not just about talking the talk. We have to walk the walk. We have to prove how good we were. If you look here at Philippians uh, 2, something else that we need to prove. 
2 verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you will shine as lights in the world, so that you will be blameless. And NASB has it as that you will prove yourselves to be the greatest proof that we are following Christ is in how we speak. If you're going to say, I'm following Jesus, how do we prove that most clearly and obviously? In the words that we say, what we say, how we say it, when we say it. Are we building up or are we tearing down? I pray that we would prove that we are followers of Jesus in our speech. And that that would be a the meditation of our hearts. But... Let me pray briefly, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's uh, table. But Father, we we ask that you would give us insight into our hearts and minds now. Help us to examine our patterns of speech. Help us to examine recent conversations. Help us to think through any and every way that we may have profaned your name in the way that we have spoken to or about others. Pray that uh, you would lead us and guide us now. Help us to be quick to agree with you about our sin, to confess our sin and to turn to you seeking forgiveness, not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, but because of what Christ has done. Father, we want to trust in him rather than in ourselves. Give us an introspective mind now. Bring by the power of your spirit the truth uh, to our hearts and recollect us. Lord, uh, prepare our hearts to participate in the Lord's table now. May you, may you guide us as we remember who Jesus is, what he has done, and our anticipation of his return. We pray in his name. Amen. As the uh, as we prepare our hearts for participation in the Lord's uh, Supper, I would just say really, I think after this, you will probably have some conversations in mind where you, you might have gossiped and slandered. And as we, uh, as we prepare uh, ourselves uh, this morning to, to celebrate the Lord's table, to celebrate communion, and and these elements, the, the bread and the cup, is a remembrance of, of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. But it is also uh, a, a reminder that we are united as a church because we are all connected to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul uh, rebuked and corrected uh, the church there because, in essence, they were participating in the Lord's Supper in a, in a way that was uh, uh, contrary to unity. That it was an occasion of disunity rather than unity. Uh, and, and he warned them against that. Uh, and we need to, to think through and examine that. Are we, are we helping to, to build unity in our families, in our church, in our workplace, in our community? Or am, are we being those who, who create separation? Uh, and uh, uh, in, a, in a moment I'll uh, 
have you get up and, and pick up the elements, and we would invite anybody who, who's been uh, baptized uh, to participate in the, the elements with us uh, this morning. But uh, after you have uh, picked up the elements, I'd ask you to return to your, your seat and, and use that time to, to pray and to consider. Uh, are there conversations that you need to have with the Lord right here and right now? Are there uh, conversations that you need to have uh, on the way home? <laughs> Uh, from here today? Are there conversations that you need to have in uh, person because it's a really serious matter? How how do we uh, make things right? And ultimately, when uh, we have sinned, we get to put the gospel on display. Uh, That we need to be quick to acknowledge our sin, to confess it, uh, to forsake it, and ask for forgiveness. Uh, And that is, in essence, what God commands us us to do in uh, the gospel, to, to no longer rely upon ourselves, but to look to Jesus in faith to confess our sins, to be in agreement with God. And there's forgiveness and reconciliation that comes from that. And that's what we need to do in our human relationships as well. But uh, if you would uh, stand now and uh, get uh, the elements and then return to your seat and we'll partake of them uh, together. As he wrote to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was being betrayed 
took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we remember this, this is representative, this is a memorial that Christ had to die to cover our sins, even our our sin of slander. But there is forgiveness and reconciliation to be found in who Jesus is and what he has done. And this is a memorial, a remembering of that. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. That is what we are remembering today. The life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. We are acknowledging our unity in him and our unity as a church body. And may he preserve it uh, according to the blood of Christ. Let's partake together. Pray and then we'll sing. uh...